Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 27 of season four. And today we are going to be listening to a conversation with Carrie Chapit. Um, I recorded this in the spring, and we talk about Carrie's latest book, which is called Daughter of the King. Let me tell you a little bit about Carrie. She is the author of three novels, including Daughter of the King, which released in December. And she is passionate about women-centered tales, history, and coffee. So Carrie was so interesting to talk to. And this the subject of her book is just fascinating. Um, we go over all of that in the interview. So I'm not going to keep you any longer sharing about this. But at the end of the program, I will tell you all the ways you can learn about Carrie and also the ways you can support the show. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Carrie Chapit. Carrie, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Allison. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Um, your latest novel, Daughter of the King, released in December. Can you tell me about this book? I can. So the book is actually based on a true story. And it the, the book opens in 1661, La Rochelle, France. And it follows main character Isabel Collette. And she is a 19-year-old very devout Protestant living in very Catholic France. And at the time, Mm -hmm. there was a extreme push to convert everyone in the country to Catholicism. So Protestants were continually harassed and the authorities were coming up with new and increasingly awful ways to try to get them to convert. So Isabel has you know, lost everything basically. And she's just fighting to survive. And she's trying to maintain um, this faith that is basically illegal. So over the course of, um, you know, or a series of unfortunate events, she finds herself in an impossible situation. A noble attacks her and she fights back. And so she Mm -hmm. either is going to get, you know, um, convicted um, unfairly of this crime, or her only other opportunity is to convert to Catholicism and travel to Canada as a daughter of the king. So this is her dilemma. And in order to live and potentially have freedom, she has to turn on her faith and, you know, turn away from everything she believes in. And what a daughter of the king was this is a really interesting story was at the time in the 17th century, the King of France had a population problem in Canada. There were plenty of men, settlers, and not enough women. And so what the king did is he sent people into the poorest areas of France to find women who were um, really without options. Many were orphans. They were living in extreme poverty. And they offered them an opportunity and said, you know, listen, we need women in the colony. And if you're willing to to go, we will pay your passage. We'll give you a dowry. We'll give you clothes. We'll give you the beginnings of a farm. Um, You just need to go and um, we will allow you to choose your husbands. So the women at the time were actually holding interviews for the men, kind of like 17th century bee dating, and they were choosing their husband. Um, And so it was really this incredible opportunity for these women. And um, so... Isabel has the opportunity to become one of these women. 
Wow, that is so fascinating. So this is a piece of history that I really um, did not know about. Before I get to talking more about that, can you tell me what inspired you to write this story? So I was unknowingly researching this story uh, because I was researching my husband's French Canadian ancestry. I just wanted to find out where in France his family was from because his whole family, both sides are from Quebec, Canada. Mm -hmm. And I had asked his mom, you know, where in France is your family from? And she said, I have no idea. We've been in Quebec for 300 years, you know? So I thought, Oh, this will be fun. And I just went down this rabbit hole and I found the story of these, of these daughters of the King. And I started finding them in my husband's line. And that became like this, fun chase, you know, and I ended up finding 33 daughters of the king in his line. Um, so wow. his, it, his entire family basically settled Canada and left different parts of France. So I had been doing this research and I found it so fascinating that I had been reading about these women for the past two years, you know, by the time that I started writing this book and I had written another book previously and it was just kind of starting to get my foot, my footing in the world of writing. And my sister said, you have to write this story. This is incredible. And I finally, you know, it was intimidating, but I finally decided, yes, I think I know enough and I've researched enough that I can probably write this story and do it justice. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. I find it so fascinating. And, and as I said, I never heard of this part of history. I hadn't either. Um, that's what's so okay. crazy. I mean, I just... That was my question. No, yeah. yeah, I was reading this going, how do we not know about this? Now, they do teach this in Canada, I've heard from people that live there, but it's very minimal. They kind of know about the Daughters of the King, but they don't really know in detail about them. But definitely here in the US, I I'd never heard of them. Right. And so French Canadian history is, is really um, intriguing to me. And I had... Recently, I spoke to another author about um, the Acadians in Canada, but this is completely unrelated to that, right? I mean, they're not... Uh, pretty much, yes. This, I mean, uh, It was a long time before the Acadians. No, actually, it's around the same time. Acadia was... Oh, okay. Um, I think it was slightly populated at the time, um, but their, their, their story probably is quite separate from this, but um, around the same time period, I believe. Okay. So then it's your your husband's heritage, not your own, that's connected to the Daughters of the King. Correct. Is Isabel's story actually true, or was is it just that the um the Daughters of the King? You know, it's a it's a culmination of all of the stories that I read. Okay. There were documented Protestants that converted in order to become a daughter of the king. Um And those stories are, they're out there. They're a little harder to find, I think, because the records at the time probably were not eager to say that they were Protestants at one time. Um, But there were quite a few from La Rochelle that was a very, uh, very strong Protestant area that they were fighting to, to hang on to their, to their religious freedoms. And so I kind of took all of these stories together and blended them into a fictionalized character. Although there is an Isabel, um, and I believe that there is a daughter, a daughter of the King with the last name Colette. So I kind of just combined two of the different names and put all everything that I researched together into one fictional character. Right. So were you able to find like information on each of these individual women. I mean, there were a lot of, there were like 800 of them, right? Exactly. Yeah. And um, the documentation is incredible. I think because the Catholic church basically 
ran the colony, right? Every single right. thing about the colony was run by the Catholic church. And so they kept impeccable records. So I know the day that each of these women landed on the shores. I know the name of the ship that they took. Oh I know. Yeah. All of it. It's all out there. So I actually made a book for my stepdaughter, my husband's daughter that um, has mm-hmm. the name of all 33 of the women that, that she is, you know, descended from and all of the information. Yeah. And all of the, the name of their children that they had and um, the name of their parents back in France, where they came from, all of that. Wow. That's so interesting. So they came, were there several ships that came or was it um, all at one time? There were, it was over the course of 10 years, this program lasted. Okay. So there were, multiple ships every year. It started kind of small. So that I opened the story at the beginning of this program and they were kind of just experimenting to see, is this going to work? You know? And I think mm-hmm. there were maybe two ships that first year. I don't, don't quote me on that, but there weren't a lot. And then as the program increased, there were multiple ones, you know, sometimes coming a couple times a month. And of course, because of winter being so brutal, they weren't coming at that time of the year. So most of them were coming spring and summer. Um, and then it kind of escalated over the course of eight, 10 years. And then they realized that all of these women's children were now having children and there was a population boom and they didn't need to continue this anymore. Okay. Yeah. So fascinating. So, um, you know, I started reading Daughters of the King. I never, I, I get to finish some of the books when I talk to yeah. the authors, but I don't always. Yeah. <laughs> so, and obviously, um, Isabel's faith is really important to her. So I was curious, like, are you Protestant or are you Catholic or? I am neither. Uh, you are neither. I am neither. Okay. Um, <laughs> But I think that the Protestants just really fascinate me because they were the early rebels. You know, they were taking on the Catholic church at a time when the Catholic church ran Europe, you know, and I found that really fascinating. And I loved, you know, you read about their belief and how hard they fought um, and the things that they went through in order to try to, to maintain their faith. And I just found that very, very compelling. And so I knew when I started researching that my character was going to be Protestant. I mean, it's instant tension, right? Cause you've got right. you know, this person trying to be Protestant in this world. that's telling them we will, we will harass and potentially murder you for your choice. So there you go. Boom, instant tension. So uh, everything was kind of pointing in that direction when I started thinking about who this character was going to be. Sure. And so how did you go about gathering all this research, I know it started as kind of like family ancestry, mm-hmm. but how did you um, like flesh out your research and, and well, what sources did you go to? How did this, this book was much more difficult to research than any other project that I've done. And I think I'm mm. on my sixth, I'm on my sixth book now. And this project was it was months and months and months of research. And it was hard to find, to be honest. You can find the big picture items about the wars of religion and the King of France. And, right. you know, you can find all that stuff very, it's very readily available. When I started trying to find the details of life in 17th century France and Canada, it was much more of a challenge. Um, and so I tried to find, um, a lot of like college textbooks were helpful. It was just hard because you have to go through a lot 
of information to find, you know, like how did they make candles or whatever, (laughs) you know, so you kind of have to pick and choose how much (laughs) do I want to go down this rabbit hole. Um, But I I was pretty lucky doing that, going to kind of uh, libraries and college bookstores and finding pieces here and there. And then, um, you know, ironically, like YouTube videos, I found one woman who teaches, Mm. um, she teaches about clothing through history and how it influenced history. And so she had these really cool models of what clothing was like in the 17th century. And she layered them and she explained each one and why they wore each one. And I was like, this is great. So I watched things like that a lot, kind of understand, you know, not just the clothing, but it was happening this way because, you know, because the King was, he was building Versailles. He was changing the feel of France and, and it, it reflected in the clothing, you know? So, um, and then there Mm. were a handful of memoirs that I read that were actually from the 17th century of people that lived in Quebec at the time when it was still being formed and had their interaction with um, the native Americans. And so that was really interesting. And I had to work really hard though, to find the right information that was going to help me write the story. So I would say it was probably nonstop for two years, just continually researching and reading and finding everything that I can. And I feel like I barely touched the surface, you know, there's so much out there. Um, so writing the sequel now, I feel like I have this really great base of information and it's been fun now to jump into writing already having done a lot of the research. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. So I want to talk a little bit about your career and how that came about. Um, I understand you had a completely different career earlier in life. How did you become a writer? So I still am in healthcare, actually. I do both. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, I think that I chose becoming a physical therapist in part because my family was very practical. They wanted me to have a very practical job. And although I showed interest in writing when I was younger, it wasn't really encouraged. You know, it seemed like this Mm -hmm. creative life was definitely not something from my like working middle-class, you know, British family. And so um, I kind of ignored that whole thing. And I just, I got into healthcare and I got my degrees and I had the stable job. And honestly, I'm really glad that I took the path that I did because now I have this really solid career in healthcare with this great company that I've been with a long time. Um, and I can pursue mm-hmm. writing and the freedom of it without the pressure to, you know, like support my family, pay the bills, like all of that with your creative mind. And so I like that I kind of have that separation. Yeah, that is nice. Um, But how do you balance? Like, where do you find the time to write if you're also working? And I think you have children. So yeah, it's a balancing act for sure. Um, I think time management, I always joke, like, I don't have many skills in life, but but time management is one of them. Like I'm really good. Oh, well, that's, that's a good one to have. It's a good one to have. It actually has paid off in many areas. And so like I can multitask really well because I can plan my time out. Um, and so I also wake up at 4am to write. I know it sounds insane to most people, oh, wow. but it works for me. I'm a yeah. morning person anyways. Um, so between four and five, depending, but I, I get up early and it's perfect because it's dark, it's quiet. Everyone's asleep. The kids haven't woken up yet. And I just, I get my computer, my coffee, and I write usually for two hours or two and a half or whatever, every single day, pretty much without fail, unless something comes up. Um, 
I am writing for two hours every single morning because then once the day starts, forget about it. Like my kids are up, I've got to work, you know, you've got all uh, life is happening. And so it's not really going to, I'm not going to fit it in. Um, So, but I think my routine is everything to me. And also I don't do word count goals. I, I don't put pressure on myself to hit certain marks. Um, I am a pantser. I just write what comes to my mind. So it kind of works for me because I go, okay, I've got my two hour clock and whatever comes out, comes out. And I know I might erase it later. I know I might, you know, because when you're a pantser, you, your editing is, is intense. You have a lot that you kind of pull out. And so it kind of works for me just to show up for, for the time period. And sometimes I get 500 words and sometimes I get 4,000 words. It kind of just varies. Yeah. That's great. Um, so Daughter of the King is your first traditionally published book, right? Correct. So can you tell me about the route you took to publish your other books and how did you end up publishing with Black Rose this time around? Sure. Yeah. I My first book that I put out, I really knew nothing about writing. And I mean nothing. I was just like, this is fun. This is something I've always wanted to do. I, you know, I picked up this project after starting it when I was 25 and never did anything with it. And I picked it back up and I just kind of had this goal of finishing it. I didn't have it in my mind yet that I was going to be a writer. I think it was just, Mm. you know, insecurity and like that whole thing that goes on in writers' minds is like, you can't do this. Who are you to think you can be a writer? Like you're in healthcare, you're a physical therapist, that's your job. Who are you to be a writer? So I kind of struggled with all of that. So I think just telling myself, oh, I'll just finish this project and that'll be done. And then I can kind of you know, um, get rid of this, this need to write. And of course it just gets bigger and bigger, right? It just grows. (laughs) Um, and so after I finished that first one, I, I just really felt like I want to, I want to kind of do something with this. So I worked with an editor and, you know, this was before I really had any connection to anyone in the writing world. And so I ended up, um, indie publishing it on KDP just because I thought, okay, publishing, that sounds fun. Let's just put it out there. Yeah. I didn't know was doing. Um, and so I sold it to like, you know, 20 friends or whatever. And I was like, yeah, that was fun. I really didn't have any aspirations for it beyond that. But then of course the writing bug hit me and I, I started having this need to do it every day. And so I started daughter Mm. of the King. I was still such a new writer that that first draft was a hot mess. I mean, I can't even tell you what a mess it was. So I went, (laughs) what do I do with this? I don't even know where to go. I knew it was a mess. I didn't know what to do. So I ended up joining the Women's Fiction Writers Association, which has been a complete and utter game changer for me. Um, And Mm. I got in with my critique group, who are now still my critique partners and friends. And um, we all had projects at the same time. So we really dove in and we spent six months or eight months editing this, our projects. And um, yeah. I worked really hard. I mean, I was reading craft books. I was listening to podcasts. I was going to in-person writing group meetings here in town where I live. And I was devoting my whole life to trying to become a better writer. I'd already had this project that was kind of done. And so I was kind of doing, learning it as I was editing. And so the book now is a completely different book than what I started. But when I was done with that, um, I knew it was still wasn't quite ready. And so I actually took a break from that. You can only be in a book for so long. And I wrote a different project just for fun, just because I was like, I've learned so much now. This third book's going to be fun for me to write. So I wrote another book um, that I went through all of the steps for that one. I did the beta readers. I did the critique partners. I did two different editors. You know, I did the whole thing. And I knew I was going to indie publish that one because um, 
I had already done the first one and I still didn't feel ready for the querying process. So we did that Mm -hmm. and that was super fun. And um, while I was, before I had published that, while I was kind of in the editing phase of that, I started querying Daughter of the King because by that time I had revised it, I don't know, six, seven times. (laughs) And I felt like, okay, it's as good as, as I can get it. I am ready. I start querying and I get nothing. And I'm mm. like, okay. Were you querying agents or publishers? Agents, just agents at that point. And, okay. yeah. you know, that's a whole nother animal, querying agents. I mean, it's just a whole nother yes. thing. It's completely separate. Querying is a different skill than writing. And so you kind of have to learn that. Yes. And I got yeah. through, I don't know, maybe 50 and I got one or two requests and then, and it of course never turned anything. And so I kind of knew it wasn't really quite right. So I went through another revision and went back and did mm-hmm. some more beta re or beta swaps and they gave me feedback and I changed it up and go, okay, it's ready now. So I do another, I think 20 or 30 agent queries, nothing. And I thought, okay, maybe it's time I look at some other avenues and through the women fiction writers association, there are quite a few indie press um, published authors there and a lot use mm-hmm. black rose. And I thought, okay, so I made a list of about, I think six small presses that I was interested in that I had talked to people that had published with. And so I sent out, I think six or eight um, queries to small presses, Black Rose being one of them. Well, they gave me, this was a couple months later, they gave me an R&R and said, we really like the premise of the story, but it's, it's not there yet. And here's the feedback. And I read that feedback and I went, oh my gosh, he's right. He's 100% <sighs> right. Because you grow as a writer, Right. At yes, everything yeah. that you write and and every step along the way. So I had become a stronger writer even by the time I got that feedback. And I was like, yes, I see it. So I dove right back in and I was like, I can do this. And that last version, it finally clicked and I saw it and I went, oh, now it's ready. It was not ready before. I get it. Now I see it. <laughs> and it's like, man, did this take a long time? Um, and then that revised version, I gave back to Black Rose and another, um, another press because they had given me a request at the same time. So I sent out my revised to both of them. And yeah. They were both interested. Um, but then a couple of months later, Black Rose offered me the contract. And I just knew I was going to go with them because he was the one that saw the original vision. And I was like, this is kind of right. like the right move for me. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, that's awesome. Am I understanding correctly? You have two um, indie published books and before you went with Black Rose? Yes, correct. And are they are they also historical fiction? They are. Um, the first one is actually a historical thriller, which, you know, on your first book, you don't really think of genre. You just kind of write the story that calls to you. So I don't write historical right. thriller anymore, but but it it's it's dual timeline and part of it is set in um, 1890s Maine. And oh, wow. so definitely you've got that historical vibe. It's just more of a thriller, I would say, than than just kind of your straight historical fiction story. And then my second one is more of a YA humorous historical fiction, um, which is really like, you know, I bounced around a little bit, Um, but I write both adult and YA. I write a lot of coming of age. So I kind of bounce between those two worlds a lot. I still do it. I'm on my sixth Mm -hmm. book, like I said, and I'm still like, (laughs) I think I'm in YA on this one, you know, what I've got an idea for adult on the next one. So, um, but always historical. I don't, I don't have any drive yet to write something contemporary. Maybe I will someday, but I want 
to read historical fiction. I want to be in historical worlds. I love living in that. And so I, I anticipate that most of my projects, if not all will be historical. Yeah. Great. Um, so you've mentioned a couple times you're on your sixth book, but there are only three that are published. So is that because you're that far ahead or because you have others that are not published? Um, probably both. (laughs) Um, Okay. (laughs) I, um, I am querying what was my fourth book that I wrote. Um, and that is out with nine different agents right now. And I'm just sort of like waiting, you know, to hear back. And um, I'm really, really proud of that book. It's set in the great depression and um, Mm. I worked really hard on it. It was not the easiest book to write, you know, they're all different. So just you fly through it and it's amazing. And others you really have to struggle. This is what I struggled, but I completely fell in love with the end product. So that's out there. I don't know what's going to happen with that. I'm just waiting to hear feedback. And then I am in edits for my next one. Um, which is set in 1920s Portland, Oregon. I write a lot of Northwest based books. And um, then I'm, you know, in edits for that, but it's kind of with critique partners right now. So I'm drafting my sequel to Daughter of the King. And is that with Black Rose or no? It is. Yes. Okay. So, and that one is coming out. That is, so that is not part of this series. It is actually, oh, yeah. yeah. It, it picks, wait the one the one in Oregon. Um, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that okay. that is separate. The one that I'm drafting right now, the sequel to Daughter of the King, is called Daughter okay. of the Shadows. Okay, so that's part of the same series. Mm-hmm. The one about the one that's set in Oregon that is also with Black Rose, or is that a self? No, that one I'm querying. Mm-hmm. So I'm out trying to get an agent for that one. Okay. So, you know, I've kind of done a little bit of everything. I haven't done hybrid yet, but I, I'm really glad I got the indie route first because you get a crash course in publishing and all of it and marketing and PR. And, and so I'm glad I got that knowledge so that now going with Black Rose, I can be a little bit more collaborative with them and bring Mm -hmm. a lot to the table because I've done this indie route before. And, but my ultimate goal is to get an agent. I want to continue to kind of move my career along, but I will continue to work with Black Rose for this series. And then who knows more, maybe more projects in the future. Right. Um, I'm so impressed because you have a lot of projects going on mm-hmm. at the same time. And you're, um, you know, you're working on your pushing books out there while you're also querying. So that's, yeah. um, that's quite a lot of, <laughs> It is, but honestly, querying is such um, a heartbreaking process that I feel like you yes, need I know. <laughs> another project to keep your mind off of. Like it's this roller coaster. One minute you're like, yeah, you know, I got a, a full request from my dream agent that was like over the moon, and mm. and then like the next day you get ten rejections and you go, okay, right. this is such a wild mm. ride. So I kind of like having these other projects, and I write really fast. Mm-hmm. I think being a pantser, I have a different approach than a lot of authors that I know. Uh, my first drafts are fast and furious and they're messy. And so my editing is kind of a longer phase, but it kind of works for yeah. me because I like just that voracious writing every morning. And then, and then, mm-hmm. you know, I fine tune the projects with time. So I'm constantly pushing out new material. And then um, I usually have two or three ideas on the back burner ready to go whenever I finish that next one. Yeah, that's great. Um, so this is a question I ask all my guests. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Well, I grew up 
completely surrounded by history. My dad was a U.S. history teacher. And, you know, this was back Mm -hmm. in the 80s when you could do such a thing. He used to host his honors class in our living room every Thursday night. So from the time I was a kid, we had these high schoolers, you know, come over Thursday night and they would sit in the room and they would debate these like heated topics about history. And I would sit behind the couch and I'd listen to them talk about all of these things. And so I kind of, history has always sort of been this living, breathing thing for me in my life. Um, So it was kind of natural that I, I got into that. As I've gotten older, I've now realized a lot of why I get more connected to history. And I remember being a kid, like eight years old, I think, sitting behind the couch, listening to all of this. And I was like, were there no women in history? Because all I hear them talking about is men. At eight years old, I recognize that. And I don't think I put it together until now that I'm, you know, an adult in the writing world. I, I am completely fascinated by women in history and specifically those stories, like the ones we're talking about with Daughter of the King, that we go, wait a minute, how did we never know about that? Because history has now turned this incredible story into lies. Like they say they're mail order brides or they say that they were all prostitutes. And it's like, because mm. we're so intimidated by the idea of women with power that we we have to make them to pro- into prostitutes, really. So yeah. I think for me, a lot of it is representation for mm-hmm. the voices that we haven't heard from because history books have been written by men to celebrate men's achievements, right? This is what mm. we primarily learned about in school. And I think for me, I feel like now we are at this place where the doors open to kind of restructure what we know about history and expand on what we know and bring in these other stories. And so I feel like at eight years old, if I was learning about young women and their contributions, I feel like it would have changed my trajectory of my life and it would have opened things up for me more. And so now being able to provide those stories, especially to women, but of course to men too. But I feel like it is kind of an important role that we play as writers in order to do that. Sure. Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, Carrie, this has been a fantastic conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? I am fairly active on social media, primarily on Instagram is my primary platform. I also mm-hmm. joined TikTok this year. I told myself I wasn't going to do one more social media platform, but I've ended up really liking it. So book talk is a really fun thing. Um, so I'm on there as well. You can connect with me on my website. I always love hearing from readers. Um, and that's carriewrites.com. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. Well, friends, you heard Carrie just tell you how to get more information about her. Um, just so you know, her name is spelled with K K E R R Y. So that's carriewrites.com. But also make sure you check out the show notes. You can either find them in your listening app or online at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. Also, if you'd like to support the show, could you please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss an episode? Whatever app you use to listen, just um, subscribe or follow the show. It's called Following in Apple Podcasts now. 
And um, then also, if you could rate and review the show, that would be awesome. It doesn't have to be a long review. It can be very short, um, or it can be longer if you want to say what you like about the show. I would greatly appreciate it. And um, if you want to join our community on Facebook, look for Historical Fiction Unpacked Podcast Group, either in the show notes, you can find the link to it, or just search on Facebook. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Historical Fiction Unpacked. If you further would like to support the show monetarily, please check out our Patreon page. You can find it at patreon.com slash Allison Treat. Allison has one L because that's the way Allison is spelled. You can find a variety of levels on Patreon. And if you become a patron at um, the highest level available, then you will receive a free book every month. So it's definitely worth checking out and finding out what the benefits are to supporting us with your pocketbook. I want to thank you so much for listening. I know that you could be spending this time any other way. You could choose a different um, show to listen to, but you're listening to Historical Fiction Unpacked, and I am so grateful. Thank you for joining us. And as usual, I will leave you with a quote from a woman in history, Annie Besant. She said, a myth is far truer than history, for a history only gives a story of the shadows, whereas a myth gives a story of the substances that cast the shadows. So keep reading historical fiction, my friends, and I will talk to you again next week.